If you have a Bible, we're going to go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Uh, it's been a different kind of day, hasn't it? Uh, but uh, this week as I was praying about what to share and how to share it, I feel like the Lord gave me a word to teach. So I'm going to teach more than I preach this morning. And we're going to go to the book of Colossians because... Uh, there's some richness there that I think the Lord wants to speak to us as a, as a household, as a church. How many of you are doing some spring cleaning? How many of you have already done some spring cleaning? Yeah. How many of you never do spring cleaning? Uh, spring cleaning is something that uh, is traditional, I guess. We just talk about it a lot of times, but it actually begins in the Bible. Every spring of the year, the people of Israel would go to uh, a feast of Passover. The feast of Passover was the feast of unleavened bread. Leaven is yeast. And part of that feast was that they would eat bread that was not baked with yeast. That means it didn't rise. That's why when we serve you the communion, it's flat bread. It's not uh, yeast bread because that was God's instruction. And that was done because the bread was going to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus gave us the communion? He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He was referring to himself. And yeast in the Bible, leaven in the Bible, represents sin. And so Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. Therefore, the bread that was used to represent him had to be sinless. It had to be unleavened. And so every springtime of the year, the Israelites go through their house, would go through their house, the Jews still practice this today, and they would take out all the yeast. That means they would empty the cupboards, they would empty the pantry, uh, every cabinet, and they would dis, uh, remove all the yeast from the house. And then they would take their pots and their pans and their spoons and their forks and their knives, and they would boil them in, in hot water to make sure that they boiled out any hint of yeast, any small scrap of impurity because the feast of God demanded it. And so this happened every spring, and therefore we have spring cleaning. Now, I don't think anybody does it quite like that anymore who's not Jewish, but there's some important truth I want us to think about and communicate uh, this morning as we began to plan uh, for our Easter celebrations and the celebration of the resurrection, this is the Passover season. This is the season where the nation of Israel would take out the yeast from their house. And it's also a good time for us to take out the yeast from our lives. Amen, somebody. And so I want to title this message, Spring Cleaning. And we're going to go through the book of Colossians. And I'm going to teach from the entire chapter 3 of Colossians as, uh, as time will permit there's some things here that I want us to see and uh, some uh, primary words that I think will be helpful for us as we study. So if you have a Bible, keep it open to Colossians chapter 3. If you haven't found Colossians yet, it's in your New Testament. It's a small book. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And we're going to be beginning at verse 1. But I'm going to pray first and ask uh, God to bless us as we study this morning. Father, we thank you this morning. For the opportunity you've given us to be in the house of prayer. We thank you for the privilege of being called sons and daughters of God. 
And today I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach and teach the word of God. And I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might hear the word and receive it in their hearts as seed in fertile soil. I ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. All right. If you're in Colossians chapter 3, I want you to notice real quick. The book of Colossians is a book written by the Apostle Paul in order to remind the Colossian church that Jesus had to be the center of their life. Jesus uh, must be the center of your life. Say amen, somebody. And so in chapter 1, Paul talks about Jesus being Lord of creation and being the Lord of the church and being the Lord of the ministry. He's talking about Jesus being the centerpiece of creation, the centerpiece of the church, the centerpiece of the ministry. That's why around here we say that Jesus is the senior pastor of Kingsway Church. He is the Lord of this church um, and uh, because he must be the center of it. And then in chapter 2 we read that he is the Lord of our walk. He is the Lord of our salvation and he's the Lord of our growth, our spiritual maturity. So we see that Jesus is not just the center of the world and the church, but he's also the center of me. He's the center of you. The centerpiece of how you walk, how you relate to people. The centerpiece of your maturity and spiritual growth. He goes on in chapter 3 to explain that Jesus must be the center of our mind, the center of our body, the center of our attitude, and the center of our actions. That's what we're going to focus on to this morning. So I want to mention that again. The center of our mind, the center of our body, the center of our attitude, and the center of our actions. And then in chapter 4, we see that Jesus is the center of our love. He's the centerpiece of how we love other people and how we love other believers. And so he writes this letter. Paul writes this letter to the Colossian church. And he does a little bit of spring cleaning. And in chapter 3, there are actually three verbs that Paul uses a few times. And these are the three verbs we're going to study this morning. Uh, you know that a verb is an action, right? So there are three activities or three actions that you and I need to undertake in this process of spring cleaning. And you might say, Pastor, I don't know if I really need any spring cleaning. But the Holy Spirit knows, all right? And he's the one who knows better. He knows what's in the cupboards. He knows what's in the, in the pantry and the closet and the attic space of your heart and my heart. And he wants us to be clean, not just for Easter, but for life. He wants us to be free of the leaven and the sin that weighs us down, that keeps us out of the race, that makes us losers instead of winners. He wants us to get rid of those things that hinder our walk and our run with God, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews to lay aside every encumbrance, every weight that so easily entangles you. So I want you to track with me as we go through chapter 3 here. And I want you to look at verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, if you don't mind marking your Bible, I want you to underline the word set right there in verse 2. And we're going to underline that because that's the first verb that the Apostle Paul uses in this context. Everybody say set. You, you and I live in the digital age, so we know all about settings, right? You have 
settings on your television screen. You have settings on your phone. Uh, you have settings on your computers. Uh, some of you have settings in your car. If your car is up to speed enough, you can have settings in your car. Settings are these predetermined uh, systems that are going to apply by default in our life. And so if you set your phone to have a password or passcode in order to, be get, to get into your phone, then you know that your phone, every time it's off, is going to have to be, uh, you're going to need a password to get back in. And if you don't put a password on it, you don't set it to have a password, then when somebody else gets in your phone, you don't have any reason to complain because you didn't set it. You didn't put the right settings. We put settings on our thermostat uh, in the house. If you like it warm or you like it cool, if you like it icebox cold, you kind of you set the settings in your, on your thermostat. Well, your spiritual life has settings. And it, it depends upon what you put your settings on, what kind of results you're going to get. Listen, if, you're, if your thermostat is always set to 80, it's always going to be warm in your house, all right? You can't walk in and say, it's so warm in here. If that's where the thermostat is, that's what you're going to get. And whatever your mind is set on, guess what? That's what you're going to get too. And the Bible here tells us to set our mind on things above. To think about, focus on, and deliberately set our mind, our heart, our affections on things above, on heavenly things, on those things that mark the character of God and the character of faith in our life. Now, first of all, I want you to realize that settings are an act of your will. You are the one who determines the settings in your life. And so if your mind is always set on the negative, it's always set on what can't be done, it's always set on failure, it's always set on I'm, I'm sick, I'm going to die, I'm going to fail, I'm going to get a divorce, this isn't going to work. Those settings are going to produce those results in your life. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, set your mind on things above. As you do spring cleaning, you got to go through your mind and your heart and say, okay, Holy Spirit, set my mind on things above. I want to have my focus, I want to have my attention on those things that God has designed and desired for me. So your settings ought to be, I can do all things through Christ. I am going to succeed. I am going to be healed. I am not going to die, but I am going to live, and I'm going to declare the works of God. Come on, somebody. You set your mind on things above. It's a decision of your will. Say, I'm in control of the settings in my life. Now, if you know that, and you, you know that now as a believer, you have the ability to wake up every morning and decide what I'm going to focus on. What am I going to lose my temper over? What am I going to decide to have a big meltdown about? Listen, if you want to have a meltdown over spilt milk, you'll have a meltdown over spilt milk. But if your settings are such that you say, you know what, I'm not going to let spilt milk ruin my day. I'm not going to let burnt toast and burnt tortillas ruin my day. I'm not going to let that thing I forgot to buy at the grocery store ruin my day. I'm not going to let a little bit of rain and some wind ruin my day. I'm going to decide whatever happens today, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have peace because God has joy. God has peace. God has blessing. And I'm a child of God. Say amen, somebody. Now, you're the one that chooses that. You're the one that chooses what to focus on in your life. The Bible tells us this. Jesus made a decision 
to go to Jerusalem where he was going to be crucified. And the disciples knew this. And one of the disciples named Peter, he said to him, he said, no, Lord, you cannot go to Jerusalem. Uh, you're going to be put to death there. So he's basically saying, why walk in to that problem? Why walk into that mess? And Jesus' response to Peter is very strong. I mean, almost offensive. If I were Peter, I probably would have been offended. Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't know about that, but um, I think if Jesus called me the devil, I'd be offended by it. And then Jesus didn't stop there. He said, you have become a stumbling block to me. Even worse. In one verse, Jesus called Peter the devil and a stumbling block. And then he says, why is this so? Because your mind is not set on God's intentions or God's purposes. He says, you're, you have not set your mind on God's interests but man's. And so the question is this morning, what is the governing setting of your mind? Do you have God's interests in mind? Are God's interests and God's agenda what rules your life, what governs your life? You see, it's very easy in our world to get a setting and to put things in our mind and to focus on things that are purely terrestrial, purely temporal, purely of this world. We can get so caught up in the now that we forget there's an eternity to live for, that there is an eternity into which we're going to enter someday. And we've got to keep that in mind, church, that we have to set our mind on God's priorities, God's interests. You know, I've seen people uh, sell every piece of furniture, sell their house, sell their car, and go on mission and serve the Lord in a foreign country. I've seen people do that. Why? Because they have made a decision. I've heard the call of God, and God's interests are my interests. God's priorities are my priorities. Now, maybe God's not calling you to do that. But maybe uh, from time to time as you're going through your year, you realize, you know what, I want to make time, I want to make a special offering to give to the Lord. I want to give uh, some money to missions. I want to go and pray for that person that I haven't seen in a long time. And you start to set your affection and your love upon what God loves, upon what God cares about. And when you do that, you realize there is a great power that comes from God. God always supports his agenda. God doesn't have any, object, uh, any uh, obligation to support my agenda. But he always supports his agenda. You know, uh, President Lincoln, when he uh, was giving his second inaugural address in the midst of the Civil War, he said, uh, both of us, the North and the South, we pray to the same God. We pray to the same Bible. Or we read the same Bible. He said, and we all hope that God's on our side. We want God to be on our side. But here's the reality. You don't, you don't need to worry about God being on your side. You need to be wor worried about getting on God's side, getting on God's agenda, getting on God's page, doing the things that God wants done in your life. And listen, friends, the Bible says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you. God says, if you'll take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. If you'll take care of my agenda, I'll take care of your agenda. Come on, somebody. God is faithful to do that in your life. Everybody say set. You have to make the decision, I'm going to set my affections, my heart, my love, my cares on God's cares and God's uh, desires and God's agenda for my life. Now, you should ask this question, how is this possible? 
How can a man and woman born into sin, born into uh, the brokenness of humanity, how can any of us ever really put our heart, our mind, our focus on God more than the things that we want or that our flesh craves? Well, the answer is right there in verse 3. It says, put your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Why? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The only way that a man or woman can truly set their affection on God is because they have died to their old nature. They have died to their old way of life. Listen, friend, if you're born again this morning, you have a dead past. Say amen, somebody. That old man, that old rascal that used to drag you around from pillar to post in defeat and destruction, he's dead. Say amen, somebody. You have died and your life is now in Christ. How many of you have life in Christ? Listen, if you have life in Christ, you have the ability to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. Outside of Christ, that power is not resident in man. It's not available in man. In Christ alone, you and I have the power to do the things that God once done in our life. And so the old man is dead, and now we have a new set of interests. Listen, just think about it. Before you came to Jesus, how many of you on a, on a Sunday morning, before you knew Jesus, when it was raining and storming outside, said, you know what, I'm going to get up and dress myself and go to church? No. You had no interest in that. You didn't have interest on church you know, on a sunny day, let alone on a cloudy day. You didn't, you didn't think about giving an offering for missions or giving an offering for, uh, to help someone in need. You didn't think about uh, going and showing somebody love or, or, or mercy or compassion. You didn't have those interests in your life. You didn't think about worship. You didn't think about the Bible. You didn't think about studying the word. But then you got saved. And you gave your life to Jesus, and something started to happen. All of a sudden, your interests changed. And instead of wanting to go to the dance hall, you wanted to go to the church. Come on, somebody. Instead of wanting to read no, the, the, the magazine, you decided, you know what, I want to read the Word. I want to know what God has to say in my life. Is there anybody in here that has a new set of interests? You see, because only, or only life in Christ can produce that in you. And if you say, Pastor, I need a new set of interests then you need to give your life to Christ. Because psychology can't change you. Education can't change you. You can have all the degrees in the world, but they won't change you. If you take, uh, if you take a crook and put him in, in uh, college or the university, give him a doctorate, he's going to come out, he's just going to be a very smart crook. Because you, the only one that can change the heart the interests, the desires, the appetite, and the ambition of man's heart is Jesus Christ. Say amen, somebody. Now look at verse, uh, verse 8. I'll look at verse 8 there. But now you have also put them aside. Now I want you to underline the word put there. That's the second verb that the Bible gives us for spring cleaning. Ahí está el segundo verbo. Uh, perdone, uh, I'm, I didn't teach in Spanish this morning, so I feel like I've left out a whole half of my congregation. All right, you'll just have to forgive me for that. But uh, he says, now put. Everybody say put. This is the next thing you need to do. You need to put things in place. When you do spring cleaning, there are some things you've got to get rid of. But there are some things you just need to put in their place. And God has some things that he wants you to put in place this morning. First of all, he says, 
put aside these things. Immorality, this is in verse 5. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, and all of this amounts to idolatry. God says you have to put these things aside. Immorality, that's sexual sin. Impurity, sexual sin. Passion, sexual sin. As well as the lust and craving of the flesh. Evil desire and greed. He says all of these things amount to idolatry. And God says you've got to put them aside. Put them all aside. Everybody say all. God wants you to put it all aside. Listen, if you, knew, if you view pornography, you've got to put it out. If you, if you uh, do drugs, you've got to put it out. If you are involved in gossip and in, in the backbiting, you've got to put it out of your life. Somebody say amen. You've got to make a decision. These things don't belong in my heart. They don't belong in my life. God has better things for me. Now, you might say, well, pastor, I don't have a problem with immorality or impurity. But then in verse 8, he says, put these aside also, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. So maybe you don't view pornography, but you aren't kind with your words toward your wife or your husband or your children. God says, put that aside too. Get rid of the anger. Get rid of the constant bickering and fighting over things that you uh, that are not as important as the people in your life. Listen, people are more important than your car. Say amen, somebody. People are more important than your truck. People are more important than your house. I counseled a man once who was going to divorce his wife because she had a fender bender at H-E-B in his truck. Heaven forbid that he should love his wife more than he loved his truck. But that's the kind of world we live in. God says you got to put that aside. Make a conscious decision. Empowered by the Spirit of God, I'm going to put aside these things that are robbing me. Why? Because these things uh, are, first of all, idolatry. Immorality, impurity, uh, greed, they become idols in your life. And God says, I don't want any idols in your life. Idols will block and obstruct your view of God. They will obstruct your answers to prayer. They will block your ability to receive the blessings of God in your life. The second reason that you have to get rid of them is because they are not who you are anymore. Say amen, somebody. That's not who I am anymore. You might say, that's who I was, but that's not who I am. That's, that's who I was. The Bible talks about Naaman. Naaman was a captain of the armies of the Assyrians. He was a mighty man. He was a man of valor. He was a rich man. He was a man of influence, the Bible says. But he was a leper. Now, I always focus on that little word, was a leper. Because if you talk to Naaman today, he would say, yeah, I was a leper. I'm not a leper anymore. I used to be a leper. I used to be bound by, by the leprosy of sin. But today, that's a has-been. That's a used-to-be thing in my life. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman in Christ. Come on, is there anybody in here that can say, yeah, I was. That's who I was. But it's not who I am. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. So I don't have to live. By the work or the power of sin in my life. And then he says in verse 10. Look at verse 10. And underline the word put there. He says, and put on the new self. Everybody say put. What does God want you to do? He wants you to put away sin and put on the new self. Who is the new self? 
The new self is the life of Christ in you. That's what God wants you to put on. Now, the, the verb here, actually, it means to, to uh, sink into the new self. It's like you have a big, fluffy, feathery bed, and then you just flop back into it, and you just kind of sink into it. God says, fall back on Christ and sink into him. Let him envelop your life. Let him completely overtake your life. It's like a big winter coat that you just sink into. You just, you just uh, become a part of it. God wants you to sink into Christ. He is the life that you and I have. He is the new self. And uh, this new man that God wants you to put on, he's a renewed man. He has a renewed mind. He no longer thinks the way you used to think. He no longer thinks uh, according to racism or prejudice. He no longer thinks according to pleasure or according to vice. He now thinks the thoughts of God. Listen, uh, the, the old man used to see women a certain way, but now he sees them differently. He sees them with respect and not as objects. The old woman used to see men a certain way, but now she sees things differently. She sees uh, what God wants and intends. And that's the power of the Spirit of God in, in life that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God says, you've got to put that new man on. You've got to make a conscious decision to sink into Christ, to let Christ rule your life. The Bible says because the new man no longer thinks in terms of Greeks and Jews and Gentiles and Scythians and barbarians. He doesn't think in terms of circumcised or uncircumcised or slave or free he doesn't think in terms of, oh, I'm, I'm American, or I'm Anglo, or I'm, I'm uh, African American, or I'm Mexican, or I'm Hispanic, or I'm Puerto Rican. He doesn't think in terms of, I'm Kingsway, or I'm New Life, or I'm First Baptist. He thinks in terms of the fact that I'm a blood-bought saint of the living God. I'm a child of God. Come on, somebody. He has a new, renewed perspective of who he is. His mind has been renewed. The Bible tells us that we need to have the renewing of our mind. And you know I've discovered that this comes as you walk with God in a, in a lot of times it comes in an immediate way. But many times it comes as a process where your mind has to be renewed. It's renewed as you hear the word, as you, as you hear the teaching of God's word. You, you see your mind being renewed. And then in verse 12, we see it again. The verb says put. It says put on a heart of compassion. Say put. You have to put on the new self. And put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Listen, God wants you to put love back in your life. If you're doing spring cleaning this morning and you see, you know what, I've been griping a little too much. I've been a little too irritable. I've been a little too edgy with people that I need to be loving. God says put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of kindness, a heart of gentleness, a heart of love. Realize, uh, once again, that the people in your life are more important, that they are more valuable. Many times we just want to win the argument. We just want to settle the score. We just want to come out on top. Sometimes you've got to lose the argument so that you can win your family. Say amen, somebody. Sometimes you have to lose the argument and just go and pray about it. And instead of just, uh, instead of trying to win every argument, just show mercy and compassion and grace. The Bible says bear with one another. 
Why would it say that if the Bible didn't know that we were going to have to bear with one another? Listen, you're going to have to bear with everybody. There, there are people that are super wonderful, and then uh, you spend any more than two minutes with them, and you just have to, you just have to bear with them. All right? You're, you're married to some of them, all right? So you just have to bear with one another. Why? Because we're not all the same. We don't all like things the same. We don't all do things the same. And we have to say, you know what? That's different, but it's not necessarily bad. Okay, you part your hair different than I part my hair, but that's not necessarily bad. Uh, you, you wear leather, and I don't. That's okay. Uh, you wear tennis shoes, and I don't. That's okay. You run, and you work out, and I don't. That's okay. We have to be willing to accept God made us different. God put diversity in the body of Christ. He put a diversity in so that we could see that he loves everybody. And he loves every single person in this room this morning. And he says, bear with one another. And then he says, forgive each other. Listen, if you're in, if you're in the faith for any length of time, you're going to have to forgive people. And guess what? There are people who hurt you in your life, in your past, that so you need to forgive today. You need to let it go today. Because you're dragging around weights and chains that are binding you to yesterday. Listen, there is no future in your past. There is no future in yesterday. Your future is in front of you. Your future is in God. So forgive and move on. You say, Pastor, I can't forgive. If I forgive, they'll get away with it. If I forgive, I feel like they're going to get away scot-free. Listen, God will handle them. God will take care of them. You forgive. Open your hands. Let them out of your hand. You're not their judge. God will be their judge. God will settle the score if it's necessary. God will settle the account. But when you forgive, you free yourself to live for today and to enjoy tomorrow. Listen, uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and watching for the other person to die. They're not going to die. You're the one that's you're killing yourself with unforgiveness. Get the poison out of your life. Let it go. Say, let it go. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. And if anyone has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also forgive them. Think about that. How are we to forgive? The way God forgives. Have any of you been forgiven by God? Uh, that, was, that was weak. I know better than that. How many of you have been forgiven by God? How many of you have been forgiven by God ten times already today? You just say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. You know, God is so generous with his forgiveness. You just, you, you and I, we blow it. We lose our temper. We make a mistake. We make a bad decision. We go against his voice. And then we realize it. If we're smart, we turn around and we say, Lord, I blew it. I messed up. I'm confessing to you that I did it wrong. I answered that wrong. I shouldn't have handled it that way. And God's forgiveness is present. The Bible says that uh, he, he is ready. He stands ready to forgive. And so you and I have to stand ready to forgive. And many times you don't have to wait for a person to come and ask you for, to forgive them. Sometimes you just have to let it go. I had, I had a situation where... Uh, a friend of mine waited about five years to come back and ask me for forgiveness. Well, by the time he came back to ask me for forgiveness, I forgot what he had done. It was so long gone, so forgiven, I couldn't even remember what he was apologizing for. And that's how God wants you to live your life, free from the bondage 
and the curse of yesterday. Say amen, somebody. And now we have in verse 15 the word let. Underline the word let right there. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Everybody say let. This word let literally means uh, to be influenced by something. There are some things you've got to set. There are some things you've got to put in their place. But then there are some things you have to let happen. Now, there are a lot of things you should not let happen. All right? You shouldn't let sin reign in your life. You shouldn't let uh, rebellion come into your home. You shouldn't let those things happen. But there are a lot of things you have to let happen. And God is saying, be influenced by the peace of Christ. In fact, if you read that verse, verse 15 in the Greek, it literally says, let peace be the umpire. Now, what's an umpire? Uh, our, uh, our associate pastor here at the church, he's an umpire, so he, he knows about this, I think. Right, Brother George? Right. Uh, umpires or uh, uh, arbiters, usually in a, in a court setting, they're a judge. They're someone who is neutral, someone who is not moved by either side. The umpire has a responsibility to call the shot. The balls, the strikes. He's got to make the hard decision. And God says, let peace be the umpire in your life. Because, you know, many times you have to make a decision, and that decision moves you emotionally. You have reason on the one hand, you have logic on the one hand, you have emotion on the other, and you don't know which way to go. Let God's peace rule your life. Let the peace of God call the balls and the strikes in your life. Listen, uh, when you allow God's peace to rule your life, you're going to make fewer mistakes and you're going you're to succeed in life. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, if you're going to buy a car and you don't have peace about buying that car, I mean, you can't sleep. Every time it comes to mind, you get nervous. You start worrying about it. You pray about it and you get even more nervous. Guess what? Don't buy that car. Follow the peace of God. You see, the peace of God will lead you to freedom. It will lead you to blessing. It will lead you to success. When you follow God's peace, you, listen, you can be in the middle of a storm where everything's contradicting you, where every circumstance and every voice is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But if God's peace says do it, you can do it and know God's going to bring me through. He's going to give me success on the other side. But if everybody's telling you, do it, do it, do it, this is great, this is wonderful, but you don't have the peace of God, you're going to blow it. It's going to become a disaster in your life. How many of you have ever had one of those disasters in your life where you learned about not going against God's voice, not going against God's peace? And guys, let me just tell you this. If you have a wife, listen to her because God gave women a little bit of a radar on these things. And when your wife says, I don't have a good feeling about him, I don't have a good feeling about her. I don't have a good feeling about that. Don't just blow it off. Listen, because God's speaking to you through your wife. Say amen, somebody. God wants you to let peace rule your life. Let peace be the umpire in your life. And then the second verse, verse 16, he says, let, underline the word let there, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Now we have another word, another influence in our life. Not just the peace of God, but the word of God. Let me just ask you a question. What influences your life? What is it that's, that's, that's determining your decisions? 
Is it, somebody said children. Is it, uh, is it your friends? Is it social media? Is it uh, TV? Listen, if you watch too much Fox News, it's going to influence your life. And if you watch CNN, it's going to influence your life. If you watch Lifetime TV, it's going to influence your life. Whatever you put in your life is going to influence you. You might not even feel it. You might not even see it. It may not sound like it. If you just listen to things in the background of your life, they're influencing your life. That's why every few minutes on your television show, there's an advertisement. Why? Because they want to influence you. They want you to buy their toothpaste, their toothbrush, their mouthwash. They want you to buy their steak, their potatoes, right? They want you to buy their, their uh, product, and they want to influence your life. And God says there's one thing that needs to be influencing your life, one thing that you need to let have constant influence in your life, and it is the Word of God. That's why I'm proud of you this morning, because you came to church. Say amen, somebody. You came to church because you decided, I've got to have the influence of God's word in my life. Listen, I don't know about you, but this is how I think every day. I've got to get the word because God, God wants to say something to me today. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what God has to say to my life. Listen, has a sermon ever touched your life? Has a, has a message or a teaching ever touched your life? Has a song ever touched your life? Guess what? God says, let the word of God richly influence your life. When you hear the word of God, when you uh, hear it on the, uh, on the radio or here at church, or you hear a song, or you worship here at church, you are participating in one of the most important practices. Because the word of God is like water. It's a constant cleanser in your life. And so it's not just for spring, but it's for fall and winter and every time in between. You've got to be in the Word because the Word washes your mind. It washes your heart. It washes you clean so that you don't carry around for longer than you need to the baggage of this life. Listen, the Bible says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing. He says, get teaching. Go to Bible study. Go to small group, listen to the sermon, and don't just listen to it, but go home and think about it. Meditate on it. Chew on it. You ought to always be asking, what is God trying to say to me today? What is God wanting me to hear from this message? Because God's always speaking. He says, do this with songs, with hymns, with spiritual songs. Sometimes we go to the, the, the book of Psalms. The Bible has a whole book full of Psalms. And you'll be surprised when you read through the Psalms how many times the Psalms literally describe what you're going through. Go to the Word of God. And, and if, if you don't go to the Psalms, he says, then sing songs and hymns. We sang songs this morning that talk about our victory in Christ, our life in Christ, our nearness to Christ. Sing those songs and those hymns. And then he says, sing spiritual songs. What does that mean, Pastor? I think it means just make up a song every once in a while. Just start singing to Jesus, singing to the Lord. Start, start letting the Holy Spirit give you songs. That doesn't mean we're going to sing it at church. We're probably never going to sing it at church. I've sung songs I hope we never sing at church. You might sing that song in tongues. I don't know how you do it, but let the Spirit of God uh, breathe His Word into your life. 
Let those things influence you. You know, we sing songs here uh, that stick sometimes. They get in my brain. And then all week long I'll be singing that song. Lately the song I've been, I've been singing a lot is Psalm 34 that we sing here. It's actually a psalm that we sing um, uh, out of the Bible. And they compose it in a, in a modern way. But that song just gets in my spirit. It gets in my heart. And often throughout the day, I'll just hear myself singing, Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name together. You know, those words come out of, out of God's word. But you know, when they come out of your spirit, it's the spirit of God stirring something up in you. And you're allowing that word to influence your life. That's why you need to bring your children to church. Yeah, from the moment they're born, bring them to church. Bring them to the house of God. Let the influence of the word be on their life. Because there will be nothing in your life more important and more powerful than the word of God. No influence. Better able to combat the lies and schemes of satanic influence than the word of God. And so we realize that God says, let this. You've got to let it happen. You've got to make a priority in your life to allow the influence of the word in your life. And the last word let here is found uh, toward the uh, end of chapter, to the, uh, into chapter 4. It's verse 6 of chapter 4. It says, let your speech always be full of grace. Let your speech always be full of grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. God says you got to let your words always be full of grace. Now, how many of you know that doesn't require too much Greek-Hebrew interpretation? You know exactly what that means, don't you? Let your words be gracious. Let them be full of God's love and kindness and compassion. Instead of sarcasm, instead of fruitless Words that tear down. Build with your words. Build somebody's life with your words. Build the lives of your family with your words. Uh, that's why I get concerned about our politicians. Because they have, they have long since forgotten what it's like to speak in a way that inspires, that builds people up. And we've become a culture where words are so readily used to tear people down, to destroy. And we've got to decide as the church, God has God is a God of the word. He created the world by his word. We were born again by the word. And when we speak, our word needs to be full of grace, full of God's compassion, full of God's message to a dying and sinful world. He says, let your word be always full of grace so that you'll know how to respond, so that you'll have an answer for life's critical moments and responsibilities. This morning... God is calling us as a church. He's calling every individual heart to make a decision to clean out whatever leaven there is in your life. Whatever things are there that are not pleasing to God. I don't need to know about it. I'm not asking you to confess to me. That won't do you any good. Tell God. Give it to God. Let him change you. Let him transform your life. Listen, the Bible says this. Who among you would be like a woman who had ten coins and lost one? Those ten coins represent her wealth, her future. 
she lost one coin. The Bible said that she swept the entire house to find that one coin. Can I tell you there's some things that have gone missing. And God wants you to get a broom this morning and go and get them back. Maybe your peace has gone missing. Maybe your joy has gone missing. Maybe your health has gone missing. Maybe your ability to hear God's voice has gone missing. God says, get a broom this morning and let the Spirit sweep out every single corner and every cupboard of your heart and your life because that thing that you lost is worth more to you than anything else. Come on, somebody. You've got to make a decision. There's gifts and there's callings and there's purpose of God in my life. I'm going to go find it. I'm going to go get what God has for me. I can't, I can't just say, well, never mind. Well, it's out. No, it belongs to me. I'm going to go look for it. And if you'll do that, you'll discover that while you're seeking the thing you lost, you'll find other things you didn't even know you lost. And so this morning, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to stand together. And let's, let's take this invitation from the Holy Spirit. Seriously this morning. Thank you, Pastor. Let's take this invitation seriously this morning. To say, Lord, I want to set my heart on the settings of the Spirit. And to say, Lord, I want to put the things in place that need to be put in place. And Lord, I want to let your word richly dwell in my life and in my heart. If that's you this morning, would you just come into this altar? Let's make time to meet with God this morning. Let's make a decision to get those settings right. Because God has so much that he wants to do in your life and in your heart. There's so much he wants to do in your family. He says set, put, and let this morning. Make a decision. Make a decision to draw near to God. To say, Lord, if there's anything in my character, in my nature, in my speech, in my patterns of life, that's not shaped like you want it to be shaped. Take it this morning. Make me the man, the woman that you want me to be.